How to give a presentation to the Imperial Court while accidentally committing light treason by making a friend. From Civil Wars, Whistleblower Tactics, Schematic Drafting, and the Finer Points of Sith Adoption, the Essential How-To Guide for the Engineering Jedi. By Jack Daw Read by Sam Gabriel. Based on the works of George Lucas. Chapter 2 Of All That Would Become Looking down at the surface of Imperial Center, shining with countless lights and backlit by her sun, General Maximilian Veers thought that it was good to be home again, as briefly as it would last, for all that a planet could still be home to one who lived their life aboard the Empire's ships anyway. And for once they'd been ordered back for a reason Veers could actually look forward to. In one week's time, Lars's Suda project would enter its mass production and distribution stage, and he dared to think that the face of infantry warfare would never quite be the same again. Troopers would be tougher, faster, and deadlier than they'd ever could have dreamed of, with nothing less than anti-vehicular weaponry being able to even reliably make a dent in Lars's creation on the first shot. Hells, they'd probably need to rewrite the whole strategy book when it came to the troopers, and if the grapevine mutterings were reliable in what they reported, they'd be doing a lot of rewriting before the head engineer was through with them all. And it was all thanks to just one boy. To say that Veers liked Luke Lars would be an understatement. Even just in sheer tactical value, the engineer ranked near top priority in his mental listings of whom and what to protect, but he'd be lying to himself if he said he could classify the boy solely on his value anymore. Cheerful, passionate, kind, genuine, and bright— Lars was a breath of fresh air aboard the lady. The lad didn't give a lick's wit about ranks or pedigree when it came to showing respect and kindness, and simply charged towards the individual he'd targeted for an extra dose of both with a single-minded determination that Veers could only respect. Said respect doubled when it became clear that Lars's preferred targets for what his men had taken to calling the Sunshine Treatment were the rank and file, and, inexplicably, Lord Vader. Were the boy anyone else? Veers might have thought him dangerously suicidal or an especially oblivious social climber, but Lars went about the Dark Lord with such genuine kindness and excitement that there was only one conclusion Veers could feasibly reach. For some force-forsaken reason, the boy actually, honestly, liked Lord Vader. And that alone would have been enough to drive Veers to down a good half of the bottle of brandy he'd kept in his quarters for such occasions. Lord Vader wasn't someone you liked. Respected, feared, admired, and followed, sure, but not liked. If another, even more planet-shattering fact hadn't emerged just hours later, Lord Vader returned the sentiment. And it had been right there, all those months ago, that Veers had known that he was in way over his head and well beyond his pay grade. Never mind that he was a general. There weren't enough credits in the galaxy to pay someone to deal with this, let alone enough to pay him because before those two revelations that had taken half a bottle each to process, there had been one golden cardinal rule. Lord Vader didn't like anyone. Veers had seen him hate, loathe, be annoyed by, be apathetic to, tolerate, and respect people over the years, but his commander had never seemed to be fond of anyone, any place, and only a handful of things that he seemed to somewhat enjoy. Lord Vader being fond of anyone as a person was alien to his mind, and yet it had happened. 
No one aboard the lady could deny it any more. The Dark Lord had gained a liking for the cheerful ray of sunshine personified that was Luke Lars, allowing the youth to chatter incessantly at him whenever Lars accompanied him, approach him with impunity, and essentially act however he damn well pleased. The regard clearly went well beyond the mere tolerance people had thought it to be at first. Hells, if the rumors could be believed, Lord Vader had spent the last three days educating the lad in the finer points of imperial court etiquette without complaint or prompting. It was unfamiliar, strange, and surreal, but he couldn't deny that it had impacted his commander in a positive way like nothing before it had. Lars tempered the Dark Lord's rage and more homicidal tendencies to the point that near everyone preferred it when the boy kept his lordship company, all the better for their collective tasks. Even Ozel, determined as the man seemed to be to have executed by his superior etched onto his tombstone, had escaped Lord Vader's wrath an unbelievable amount of times due to the boy's near-miraculous talent for diffusing situations. All in all, the result was that, though the rumor mill went wild with speculation as to what could be happening here, a friendship, a mentorship, or what, no one was complaining as Lord Vader and Lars increasingly became Lord Vader and Lars. Veers least of all, since Lars's liking for Lord Vader seems to translate into the boy performing increasingly extraordinary feats of military engineering that held no compare, all of which had led them to this. This being a high-priority hyperspace jump towards Imperial Center, ordered by His Majesty the Emperor himself, in order to deliver Luke Lars to the Imperial Palace in time for the official launch event of the Suda Project's conclusion an event held in the honor of everyone who'd made the production of said project possible, but which everyone had accurately understood to mean that it was really in honor of Lars. If you had told him, little over half a year ago, that the scrawny little kid brought aboard from an outer rim dust ball in the middle of nowhere would have an event organized in the Imperial Palace to honor him, he'd have sent whomever it was to the brig to sleep off whatever bad batch of moonshine they'd been drinking from. But here they were, and the reality was undeniable. The entire upper brass of the lady and their families had been issued invites to the event, with Veers himself being no exception, which meant that he'd have the chance to see Zev again for the first time in... months. Force, it really had been months, hadn't it? The last calm message they'd had with each other face to face had to have a timestamp reading at least three months ago by now. Not, if he was really honest with himself, that that was a big surprise. It had ended in a shouting match which seems to be becoming more and more common between the two of them as of late, likely neither of them having been in the mood to chance one again. He sighed deeply as memories of that unpleasant evening once more resurfaced. They'd argued about the Empire's doctrine and policies again, something which, for all that they both served it, they just couldn't seem to agree on. Zev was a bright young man, but he just didn't seem to get that the idea and arguments he'd been spouting for the last few years were dangerously close to the drivel rebels' path as propaganda. Veers knew that the Empire did many things that some may find distasteful, but he also believed in its message and method of projecting unwavering power and force in unstable situations to give hope to all those that sheltered under its protection. The people of the Empire needed to feel and be safe, and to that end, battles and skirmishes were best kept short and contained. If overwhelming force and sometimes not wholly savory tactics had to be used, so be it. There would never be a repeat of the Republic's greatest mistakes, not as long as he had a say in it. He remembered the chaos and bloodshed of the Clone Wars, the millions of dead and displaced, the terror that had reigned. 
He remembered the sheer ruin all those years of conflict had brought to all corners of the galaxy, without regard for who were combatants and who were civilians, which had taken years of rebuilding and recovery to mend. Never again. And if to prevent a repeat of those horror years, he had to bloody his hands in the process, he'd gladly do it again and again. All for the good of the Empire and its people. But his son disagreed, vocally. Even years of training hadn't brought him around to that point of view. He proclaimed that the Empire, whatever its goals, had failed spectacularly to deliver on the promises it made in its vision of the New Order. Slavery was rampant on the Outer Rim worlds and in hut-controlled space, and under the Empire, due to a treaty with the huts, fully legal. There was no freedom and safety for those people, he proclaimed. They were citizens of the Empire, too, were they not? Where was their protection, or even just their basic rights? Or were they not a part of whom the New Order was for? Were they deemed acceptable sacrifices in the quest to building a better galaxy? And if so, who had asked them if they were willing to make that sacrifice? Who had asked the millions, if not billions, of slaves whether their freedom was a worthy price to pay for someone else's safety? And if Veers was honest, he could see where his son was coming from. Zeph had never known the chaos and destruction of the Clone Wars, and had no basis to compare the current peace of the galaxy to. How could he know that the temporary truce with the Hutt families now was preferable to entire cities going up in flames? How could he know that it was because of the Republic that the Hutts had gained so much power? How could he understand that having to tolerate slavery for now while they were still engaged with the more immediate threat of the rebels was preferable to the threat of all that had been bled and died for going up in flames? Veers knew, as well as every other officer of his rank, that while the truce with the Huts was abhorrent in what it meant, it was still better than starting a war where they'd be fighting on two fronts. One day slavery would be banished to the records of the past where it belonged, but it couldn't be just yet. Not that Zev understood that. Nor did the boy seem to understand or want to hear just how dangerous the ideas and questions that he had were, which led to arguments. Lots of them. Looking down at the planet on which his son currently resided, brooding over the nosedive their relationship had taken over the recent years, he nearly missed it when his chronometer began buzzing its alarm. Shutting off the incessant beeping, he shook himself out of his morose state. Departure for Dirtside was in less than half an hour, and he needed to get to the docking bay. But he knew the thoughts about his son would continue to niggle at the back of his mind like they always did. It didn't matter, he'd gotten used to that a while ago. Making his way over to the nearest rail station, Veers had to weave his way through the ladies' bustling corridors more than usual, the imminent departure of some of her highest-ranking crew members and a good chunk of the 501st sending everyone spinning to get the preparations done in time. The railways operated as smoothly as ever, though, and not even a quarter hour later he was down in the hangars, organizing the squad of men he'd selected to join them dirtside. Six rows of men stood at attention in front of him, each one decked out in a full suta kit, version 1.5. The kit may not have the capacity to produce his creations en masse yet, but that didn't stop him from repeating his feat of production on a limited scale. And if the 501st was going to be represented at the coming event, they were going to represent themselves in style, which is what he was currently ensuring his men understood down to their damn cores. Now, I don't want any complaints on your conduct from anyone while we're down dirt side, civilian or otherwise, he commanded sharply as he stood in front of his men. You lot 
will be the first stormtroopers wearing the new armor that the galaxy will see in the coming days, and are therefore now the face of the suit of project. I expect you to act the part. Sir, yes, sir! The troopers answered, never wavering in their stances. He grinned fiercely. Good, that's what I like to hear. On top of that, Lord Vader has ordered you to act as the personal security detail for those not experienced in ground and close-quarter combat. That includes both the Navy officers and the head engineer. And he saw them perk up at those words, even as they never shifted their stance. Good. The boy would be well protected then. Whom you'll all be guarding over the next few days. There'll be seven men to each security detail. Your commanding officers know who you'll be guarding. Do not fail and do not falter. Am I clear? He snapped as he stepped into parade rest. Sir, yes, sir! Was the answering call, and he nodded sharply at them. Good! Dismissed! And with that, the ranks swiftly broke up into the aforementioned groups, some of them taking up honor guard positions at the ramps of the three Lambda shuttles they'd be using, some already entering the shuttles to prepare for takeoff, and a select few marching off to find the wayward head engineer, presumably to ensure that Lars would actually make it aboard the shuttle instead of disappearing off into some vent or other. Who knew with the boy... He'd already managed to worm himself into spaces on a regular basis that Veers would have sworn weren't accessible by humans. Relaxing his stance as his men went about their duties, he noticed Piet approaching, probably from whatever he'd been busying himself with being his usual terrifyingly efficient self. The man had a sabacc face that rarely cracked even under the pressure of working directly with Lord Vader, was a minor force of nature unto himself, and Veers was damn proud to count him as a friend. That didn't take away from the fact that the man was still a Navy pencil pusher, and he an Army ground pounder. So when Piet raised an implacable eyebrow on his otherwise completely blank face, he knew it was coming. "'Last-minute orders,' he noted mildly, "'and here I had hoped that your men would have had the common sense to request those before we were little more than ten minutes away from launch.' He shrugged, schooling his face into something utterly at ease. "'They did. They got them.' They're still at their best when someone beats it into them a second time before hitting the ground running. He grinned sharply at the captain, whose face still hadn't so much as twitched. And it's better than having to submit every order in triplicate. Hmm. Piet pressed his lips into a thin line before taking up position next to him. Perhaps. But if you worked directly under Rosal, I wouldn't doubt you'd wish for a triplicate copy that clearly stated you aren't a viable scapegoat. His eyes sparked dangerously at that statement and Veers didn't doubt for a second that if anyone could weaponize the Navy's bureaucracy for anything other than boredom, it would be Piet. He inclined his head at the other man, and neither said another word about it. "'You've seen the kid yet?' he asked instead, scanning the hangar and letting himself linger on the now infamous entrance to the boys' workshop. "'It would look bad if we had to fish him out of some vent at this point in time.' Piet actually smiled at that. "'Yes, actually.' Last time I saw Engineer Lars, he was looking rather perturbed at his newly unwrapped dress uniform. And yeah, Veers could already picture the scene as a grin broke out on his face. Oh no. Piet had a rare, mischievous air about him as he adjusted his data pad on the crook of his arm. Apparently, the man spoke with perfect primness, the collar on the dress jacket was rather too high for his tastes. Oh no, he said, entirely failing to convincingly hide his delight. Oh, yeah, he definitely knew this scene by heart. And apparently, Piet continued, finishing his fussing with his data pad and standing straight once more, looking as blank as the durasteel wall behind him, it took an intervention from Lord Vader to convince Engineer Lars that he couldn't just throw in a clean shirt and overalls and call it good. 
and Veers could just hear the undercurrent of offended distaste coming from the man standing next to him in a cleanly pressed navy dress uniform. Still, the lad planned to meet His Majesty in the Senate. In overalls, he asked, hardly believing it, and yet, coming from Lars, being able to picture it so clearly. Piet gave him an utterly flat look and said in perfect deadpan, Yes, and apparently there was a compromise reached that allowed Engineer Lars to pack two additional overalls and his tool belt with the promise that he wouldn't wear them in polite company. Wait, what? A compromise? And he could hardly be blamed for the incredulity with which he asked that. Lord Vader didn't compromise. But Piet merely gave him an imperceptible nod, and, well, that was that, he supposed. His worldview shifted on its axis until it was approximately leaning sideways, but if there was anyone he would believe this from, it was Piet and concerned Lars. Well, he said faintly, feeling rather like one of Lord Vader's ties had hit him on impact. Miracles have become rather commonplace lately, haven't they? Piet snorted softly, and apparently he wasn't the only one feeling like the punchline of a joke he'd never heard the start of. One that likely went something like, a supreme commander, a general, a captain, and an engineer walk into a bar or similar, and ended with half of them dead. And besides, he said, fanning a casual attitude, no one would be able to accuse him of not being dedicated to his work, now would they? The captain glared darkly at him from the corner of his eye. No, they would simply tear him apart for everything else scandalous about that. He shrugged his shoulder. Maybe, though I doubt Lord Vader would let it come to that. There was a beat of silence as Piet weighed his words in the privacy of his mind before resuming their conversation with a quiet but steady voice. Perhaps, he acknowledged, perhaps not. If it's all the same to you, I would prefer not to think on it and discuss something not liable to reach the ears of Lord Vader instead. And that was a reasoning anyone would find it hard to argue with aboard the lady. Fair enough, he said, focusing his gaze back on the various officers and crew members milling about the shuttles with a few curious absences. He frowned as he counted the heads of the people present, and came up short one posturing chronic idiot of an admiral, leaning imperceptibly closer to the captain next to him, and lowering his voice, he asked, "'Wouldn't happen to know where your pompous jackass of an admiral is, would you?' Piet stilled for a moment from where he'd been going through a checklist before subtly shaking his head. "'No, and I hope it will stay that way until we're already on the way down.' He's been absolutely insufferable ever since the invitations came through, the man whispered back lowly. That got a snort out of him. What? Admiral Blowhard didn't take well to getting invited to a royal event hosted in Lars's honor, he asked, sarcasm dripping from every word. I'm honestly shocked and surprised. He wasn't. He really wasn't. Everyone on the ship knew by now how Ozel felt about that little tidbit— mostly due to the fact the man never shut up about it in the three days the information had spread like wildfire across the ship. According to him, it was a testament to the right state of decay and anarchy the Empire found itself plagued by, and would bring all of us to ruin and rot if the mere fantasies of youth are now valued higher than the experience of age and pedigree of name. As he had explained time and time again to the poor souls stuck on the other ends of his unsolicited ravings, needless to say, the man was experiencing and inventing new heights of offense at the fact that a prodigy miracle worker was being honored by his majesty, while a thoroughly poor and unskilled admiral such as himself had never so much as been noticed. Something which shocked exactly no one, 
Even as the scuttlebutt was whipping itself into a frothing frenzy over the reclusive ruler arranging to meet someone like Lars, and that was what this was all about. Not officially, of course, but there was little other reason to practically summon the head engineer of one of the most active warships in the Navy to the peaceful Imperial Center, for a public ceremony nonetheless. Other than that even the Emperor himself had become curious about the rising star of his military and seemingly the personal protégé of his heir. Piet nodded slightly. No one was, really, but he's been taking it out on the lower ranks harder than usual. I don't think I've ever seen him this volatile before. And he is hardly Lord Vader. The sheer overreactive pettiness of his retributions to imagined slights is taking a toll on morale amongst my fellow officers, Piet confessed quietly. Even attempting to rearrange the preparations while he's in earshot had become a hazard. Veers whistled lowly. It seemed to him like the man had finally gone off the deep ends of his own ego, and his reputation was taking the brunt of it. A hit which, if the Admiral had thought about anything but himself for two whole seconds, he'd realize his already abysmal reputation aboard the lady really couldn't afford. "'He's not going to last much longer,' he predicted, seeing the writing on the wall clearer than ever now. Not if he doesn't stop his vendetta against Lars soon. It's already out of hand. And the boy is an enemy he really can't afford to make. I hope you're right, Max, was Piet's ominous answer, his face darkening significantly. I really hope you're right. Before he could answer, a commotion from the other side of the hangar drew attention. The temperature in the impossibly large space dropped inexplicably, and the bustling sounds of the hangar muffled until only a heavy durasteel tread and a rasping breath could be heard. Lord Vader had arrived in the chamber, and despite the usual dread and awe that accompanied any arrival of his mysterious superior, Veers felt his mood instantly brighten when he saw that the man was marching in time with the squad of troopers he'd sent off earlier, now with their charge in tow. Lars was, likely to the consternation of the lad himself, actually in his dress uniform for the first time. Unlike the majority of the other official Imperial dress uniforms, greens, blues, and greys, the uniform for the Engineering Corps was cut out of a fabric so deep blue it appeared to be a complete void black save for the moments the light hit it just right in order to give it a small highlight of a bluish hue. Combined with the small capelet draped over his shoulders, the silver embellishments on the collar and cuffs, and the insignia pin on the right side of his chest that all marked him out as the head engineer of the Empire's flagship, and the lad looked right at home as he flanked his superior. Dignified, as serious as he was ever going to be, and matching the long strides of Lord Vader with his own quicker pace, and seeing the two of them side by side like this and surrounded by the fruits of the kid's work, Veers couldn't help but think that despite the vast differences between them, they looked like one coherent unit, ready for anything. The picture of the change to come to the Empire for the coming years a picture that was unfortunately marred once he caught sight of one Admiral Ozzel flanking Lord Vader's other side and walking some ways behind the two, obviously not truly a part of the duo and glaring venomous daggers at the back of the lad whenever he thought no one was looking. Vader's good mood soured slightly, so the man had managed to get himself down in time for the takeoff. Pity. He stood at attention, nevertheless, when his superior approached, completely discarding the presence of Ozzel as unimportant at the moment. Piet echoing his movements beside him. My lord! Both he and the captain greeted in sync. Lord Vader nodded back at them. General! Captain! Is everything ready for our departure? Piet dipped his head slightly. Yes, my lord. We can depart at a moment's notice without further delay. 
Very well, then, Lord Vader rumbled lowly. Consider this your notice, Captain. We depart immediately. Yes, my lord. And with that, Lord Vader swept away, his cloak flaring in his wake, and the strange icy chill that accompanied him lessening with every step. Lars still matched the Dark Lord's every step, and now Veers could see that a black-gloved hand rested on the boy's shoulder the entire way towards the shuttle and up the ramp. Strange, how hadn't he noticed that before? With practiced ease, he shook himself out of the slight chill Lord Vader's presence always left him with, and started commanding his men aboard their designated shuttles, while Piet did the same, both of them disregarding the furious admiral storming up the ramp after Lord Vader and Lars. Not even five minutes later, the three shuttles were flying out of the protective embrace of the ladies' hangar and down towards the ever-shining lights of the city planet that never slept. The text of this story is available on AO3. Theme music written by Jack Donkudai, Sputnik, and Sam Gabriel. If you would like to commission me to record a story, voiceover, or character, please get in touch with me using the contact information on my website, which is located at samgabrielvo.com. And there you can find other stories that I've read, as well as links to my Patreon page, to which I hope you will consider subscribing to support me, and my Discord server, where I record things live for your enjoyment. And finally, as always, thank you for listening.